Alrighty. How's everybody doing? Good? Come on. Now. How's everybody doing? Is it, like, is it like Easter hangover or something like that? <laughs> well, hey, if you're new here, we want to say thanks for joining us here this morning. Uh, my name is Wayne, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Mustard Seed Church. And uh, this week and next week, we're looking at, uh, we're discussing something that we talk about all the time here. It's language that we use probably almost every week, and honestly, it's a value within probably hundreds of vineyard churches around the country in language that they use as well. And so one of those values that we typically hear on this Sunday morning, it's a, it's, it, it was a phrase coined by a guy named Rick Richardson. How about that name, huh? Rick Richardson. And he wrote the book, Reimagining Evangelism. And the phrase that he coined, and we say here almost every week, is that this is a place where you can belong before you believe. How many of you heard us say that? Right? It's language that we use almost every week of this is a place where you can belong before you believe. Now what we're going to be looking at quite a bit here, and really our hope is that we give words to what that actually means. We use it every week, man, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. But I wonder if some of you are like, man, it sounds good. Amen, I like it. But do you actually know what it means? Do we actually know what it means? Like, are we, can we put some language to what this actually means about belonging before we believe? And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're gonna, this week we're going to look at belonging, what that looks like, what that means for us as a church. Next week we're going to look at believing. What we mean by when we say that, belonging before believing. And so the reality of it is, is that some of you are here today. Can I say this? Some of you are here today and maybe you're just venturing back into church again for the first time. And there's a little bit of within you of like, oh, I hope this goes well, you know. Maybe some of you here today just trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. And you're like, man, what are we singing about and talking about? Wayne, what are you talking about? This is a place where you can belong before you believe. This is a place where you can belong before you have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed and you know all the Bible Jesus answers, which is wonderful by the way. But this is a place where you can belong and be a part of a community here before you actually believe. So the next two weeks we're going to be looking at what does that actually mean. And I was reading some articles the other day, you know me and my reading. I was reading some articles the other day that was shedding light on the significance of feeling like we belong as humans. Shedding some light on the significance of feeling like we belong as humans. Have anybody ever watched the documentary, it's a TV show, it's called Alive or whatever it is? Anybody seen that? They like, these guys get dropped off in like British Columbia and whoever survives the longest alone by them, or alone is what it is. Whoever survives the longest by themselves wins like $500,000. And so this one guy, the first season that we watched it, he's like, I mean, I, for one, I didn't know you could like make this stuff out of sticks and rocks, okay? But he's like a clubhouse and a shelter, and he's like fishing with bottle caps, and it's just like unbelievable. I would have died. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would have totally, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made it. But what the interesting thing that shocked me is after the end of the six months, he was the last one left. And he didn't know he was the last one left. This boat shows up and they said, hey, you're the last guy remaining. And this dude with no contact with humans like went crazy for six months. No human contact. Totally disconnected and totally alone. 
And it shows the significance of what it feels like for us as humans to belong and to connect. One of the studies that I read of the reason why it's so important is uh, because today in our world there's been a rise of loneliness and disconnection in our culture. And which is weird because like we're the most connected ever in history. Phones and internet and cell phones and social media and websites and you know, cars that can go on electric for 300 miles. and all. I mean, like, we're the most connected we've ever been in human history and the least connected we've ever been in human history. There's been this rise within our culture of loneliness and disconnection. And there was a study that I read that looked at loneliness in America. Can I give you some of the statistics that they found? It's shocking. One of the studies that, that, that it, in terms of loneliness in America, this is what they said. of Americans said that they feel that no one knows them well. 54% of Americans say that they feel that no one really knows them well. 46% said that sometimes or always they have feelings of alone or being left out. 46%. 43% said they lack companionship and that they lack meaningful relationships in their life. And this is just a recent study that was done. Loneliness in America. Disconnection within America. There's been this rise and increase with people feeling as though they don't have a place to belong. And the reality is is that myself and maybe even some of you here today can relate to some of those feelings of not belonging. Maybe today you can relate to some of those feelings of not feeling connected or you struggle with Loneliness. Maybe you too feel that, man, no one really knows me that well. Maybe you too feel that you're alone or left out. Or maybe you too feel a lack of companionship or meaningful relationships in your life. And this is what I love about the church. This is why I believe the church is the hope of the world. It's because whenever there's a deep human need within us... That culture and the world can't meet. I believe that's a chance for the church to step in. That's a chance for the church to step in. And I feel that as the church we can help to feel that belonging gap. We can help to feel that belonging gap. So this morning we're going to look at belonging and how that might look for us in the church. So would you stand with me as we read God's word. This is what we love to do if you're new here. Sorry it might feel weird. We're not, never mind, I'm not going to say that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your correction. (laughs) We like to stand when we read God's word just to place ourselves under God's word and honor it. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. Shall we? Let's pray. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? Your word is alive and it's well and, and it speaks at the deepest core of who we are as people. We place ourselves under your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 10, chapter 1. Nope. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, wow, did I say that right? Philip and Bartholomew, yeah. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, 
Simon the, Je- Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. As we jump in, I want to give you a little bit of context for what's happening in this passage. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. What's happening in this passage previously before this in Matthew chapter 9 is that Jesus is looking at the kingdom work that needs to be done. All the hunger, all the hurt, all the affliction, all the lostness. Jesus is looking at all the kingdom work that needs to be done. He says, man, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers. So this is what happened in before this. And so when we get to John, when we get to Matthew chapter 10, we see then that Jesus is calling to himself the 12 disciples to do the work that he sees that needs to be done. And the first thing we want to highlight this morning from this passage, and I just have one point. Can you believe that? That's an answered prayer right there. I just have one point this morning. And that one point is the art of belonging. The art of belonging. And the reason why I like this, have you ever heard of the art of manliness? It's like this podcast you can listen to, no? It's an awesome podcast. The art of belonging came to my mind. We're going to look at the art of belonging as we go through the scriptures together. In this passage, Jesus calls to him the twelve disciples... And for us to understand really how radical this is, we have to understand who the disciples are. Of why this is so radical that these 12, he calls to himself to be in community together. So we're going to look at each one of them. Okay? Peter and Andrew. You you heard Peter and Andrew in that passage. Peter and Andrew were brothers and they were both fishermen. And what this means that they were fishermen was that they didn't make the cut. In Jewish history, you would go through the educational system and if, if you, at first from, from like, uh, like 1 to 5, you would train and then from 5 to 11, you would train. And then if you made the cut some more, you would go on to potentially be a disciple or a rabbi. When you got to that second grade level, that second stage, if you didn't have the qualifications or they deemed you not worthy enough, you would take on the family business. And so we, here we have Peter and Andrew Fishermen. It means they didn't make the cut. They probably was like a GPA like mine in high school. My GPA was like 2.5 when I graduated. It was terrible. I barely made the cut. You know what I'm saying? When they gave me my cap and gown, I was like, I did it. <laughs> and then I tried to apply for college, and I was like, no, you can't apply with that GPA. I was like, dang. <laughs> but they barely made the cut. They took on the family business. They became fishermen. Next we see James and John. They were also brothers and they were also fishermen. So they didn't make the cut either. And it's likely that many believe that James and John and Peter and Andrew were actually friends. They knew one another within the fishing business. James and John, if you ever read the scriptures, they tried to secretly become Jesus' number one and number two side men. Lord, Lord, can we sit at your right hand and at your left and all that good stuff, right? They tried to do that without the other disciples knowing about it. They tried to like work something under the table so they could sit at the right and the left. Which as you can imagine for the other disciples, that didn't go over too well, right? Trying to sneak on in there. Next we run into a group of names that people really don't know a whole lot about. We don't know the history, their past, they come up very rarely in scripture. But that's Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, James the Less, and Judas, son of James. 
These five, they really don't know a whole lot about other than they're just mentioned here and there in Scripture. Next, we get to Matthew the tax collector. There's a whole lot about Matthew the tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector and he was the most despised of all people in all of Israel. They were known for taking, tax collectors were known for taking extra money from the people of Israel to pay off the Romans and then to pad their own pockets. So imagine you go up to the tax collecting booth and the taxes are normally 50% that the Romans ask of you, right? Matthew can actually say, hey, you know what, today it's going to be 70%. You see, ooh, I even feel it in me. I'm like, Lord, hold me back. Hold me back, Lord, you know. They can, they, can, they can add to the percentage as much as they want it. And if you wanted to make a fuss, okay, it's 80%. The most despised of all people in Israel. It's what you would call like an enemy of the state or somebody who was a traitor against their own country. Next, we have Simon the Zealot. He was a political activist. He was actually the very opposite of Matthew. Simon the Zealot was with a group of zealots who would actually assassinate, murder, and kill the Romans and anybody who sided with the Romans. So here we have these two individuals in community together. You would have figured somebody would be like, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? We're putting these two together? And lastly is Judas Iscariot. He's the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The reason why I wanted to look at each one of these names, and it says that Jesus called each one of these to himself, is because what we see in this passage is that 12 people, all from 12 different backgrounds, and Jesus is creating a space for those 12 to belong. 12 people, 12 different backgrounds, and Jesus is creating a space for those 12 to belong. We have 12 people here from different political backgrounds, financial backgrounds, different job backgrounds, different family backgrounds. And Jesus creates a space for them to belong, and he creates space for them at the table. And this is what we have to realize is this has been God's heart from the beginning for for humanity. We can go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, which we're going to go today. Leviticus 19. And if you've ever read Leviticus, (laughs) Leviticus is hard, right? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 through 34. And to give you a little context in this passage, Jesus, I mean... God, the Father, is telling the nation of Israel how they should act. If you ever read Leviticus, it's very much, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. He's telling them how they should act. How they should treat people. And so we pick up in Leviticus 19, verse 33. He says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, what he's telling them is they have this this whole community of God's people. Christians, right? This whole community of God's people. And God says, when outsiders come in who are not a part of your community, when they come in and they are the outsiders, maybe who people have frowned upon, and they're not a part of your community, he says that you are to... Do them no wrong, treat them as a native, and love them as yourself. This heart of belonging and connection has been a part of God since the beginning. R.K. Harrison, who is a 
uh, a theologian, New Testament theologian, he has this quote about what this passage actually means. He says, The Israelites have to remember always that they themselves were once outsiders in Egypt. And only by God's power was their freedom and its individuality restored. Although the stranger is a temporary resident among God's people, he must be treated as a regular member of the community and loved as a neighbor. He must be treated as a regular member of the community and loved as a neighbor. Leave that up there for us, please, for a second. And this is what stirs me up. This is what gets me excited is because this is the call of the church. This is the call of the church. That people can come in as outsiders, not having it all together, not believing the same things that we believe, and be treated as members of the community and loved as a neighbor. That people can come in with different political backgrounds and financial backgrounds and jobs and family backgrounds and different faith backgrounds, maybe even a different sexual orientation background. That people can come in and feel as though they're a part of the community and loved as a neighbor. And this is in my own story. This is why I love church. This has been my journey, and especially vineyard churches. When I first came to know the Lord 11 years ago, uh, we went to this church down in Lake Charles that was like this big, bustling, I mean, just getting after it kind of church. And you walked in, and there was smoke and lights, and which I'm not knocking it. I hope one day we have it. You know, all you got me is on the cajon right now. That's it. You know? <laughs> maybe not smoke. Maybe not smoke. Lights. Okay, maybe not. But it's just, I mean, it was like young and hip people and everybody just excited and worshiping. I was like, man, you left from there like, whoo, that was just amazing. And the thing about it is, is that we never found our place in there. We were hardly ever greeted. We didn't find, we weren't, we weren't able to find anybody to journey with us and walk with us through life. We were young and had young kids and everybody else was young with no kids and so we were immediately the outsiders. You ever been in a church and it feels like there's like these cliques that are formed up and unless you try to be like them and look like them and act like them and run in the same circles with them, then you can be a part of the clique. And other than that, you're not. This was my very first church experience. And then I went to a vineyard church. We left from there. I went to a vineyard church a year and a half later called the Lake Charles Vineyard. And man, I walked in and when I tell you it felt like family. I had people hugging me. I didn't even know hugged. I didn't even know, you know. Grant is Grant here. Grant's not here. If you don't know Grant, he'll grab you and hug you like he's steer wrestling. And that's what he used to do. But I walked into this church and it's like, can I tell you what it felt like? I felt seen. I felt that no matter what they had going on, that the worship and the lights and the smoke and all that stuff up on the stage was secondary. And I was before that to them. I felt loved as a neighbor. 
Immediately I felt like I was part of a community. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be in. I want people to walk in that look different than me and think different than me and sound different than me, which is about everybody. (laughs) Unless we got somebody in here with a little bit of Louisiana on the end of it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But to have a place where we can come in and be community and feel like we belong. Creating a place where people can come and be treated as regular members of the community and loved as a neighbor. Now, how this looks theologically, can we go there for a little bit? Theologically, how the, our methodology of how this looks like within the church. A lot of times within church, how churches function is there's this inner circle with the cross in it that everybody tries to get into. And there's the outer circle where everybody's out of. And for a long time, the, the church has been like, hey, let's, let's get into the inside and let's stay in the inside. And everybody else on the outside is on the outside. And they can't come on the inside unless they believe what we believe, think what we think, act like how we act, answer, the, answer questions the way we answer, say this prayer. When they do all of that, then they're on the inside. That's not belonging before believing. That's like believing and then get in and then we'll check you out and then you can start to belong. The methodology that we adapt to is called the center set model. The first one is the bounded set. As you can imagine, it's bounded. There's either in or there's out. The second one is the center set model. And the way that looks is that there's a cross in the middle, Jesus. And there's all kind of people spread out all over the place. And the goal is not to get people in. The goal is to get people moving towards Jesus. That's the goal. So when you look in scriptures, there's the prostitute who is caught in adultery. She's about as religious, lack of religious and as far away from God as possible. But can I tell you when Jesus showed up, her arrow pointed towards him. As far away as we would think from God. And then also in scriptures you have the religious leaders who you think is the closest that they could be to God. Right next to the cross. They're as God as God can get. And their arrows are pointing away from Jesus. That's our heart here. And we say it almost every week. Is if you're here trying to figure out who Jesus is. Or if you're here trying to come back into church. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. That we actually want to be on the journey with you. Even if you're way over here. And as lack of religious as possible. That's what we mean by belong before we believe. The Rick Richardson guy who wrote Reimagining Evangelism, he says this. He says, when a non-Christian is allowed to be a full participant in a community and get an up-close look at what difference the gospel actually makes in people, he or she is given a front row seat to the working of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Let me say that again. 
When a non-Christian, an outsider, an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't check all the boxes, when they are allowed to be a full participant in this community and get an up-close look at what the difference the gospel makes in our own lives, they get a front-row seat at the Holy Spirit working in our midst. When we allow people to be a part of the community, they see our brokenness, they hear our brokenness, they see our struggles, they hear our struggles, but what they see is we are crying out to God. God, would you meet us here? God, we believe that you're alive and real and working in our lives, and would you work in our lives? And what that does is then the people begin to think, well, maybe he can work in my life. Belonging before believing. So as we close, some practicals. You should be remembered at this point. There's just one point I made. Art of belonging, right? If I see you at the bakery, I say, hey, was that one point? <laughs> I just had one. That's it. That's it. So as we close, we have the worship team come up. We're going to have some ministry time today. And what we like to do here for ministry time is we just like to create space to pray for one another. Because this is why. This is not, can I tell you this? This is not the church up here. We're not the ones that get to do all the God stuff. You are the church. And everybody gets to play. We're going to preach on that one time. You know, we say that all the time. Everybody gets to play. So we're going to create space to pray for one another. But some practicals I want to give you real quick. And what it means to be a church where you can belong before you believe. Can I do that? Real quick, some practicals. And it's not really like to do things. So I know like you type A, any, number one on the Enneagram, check off to-do list stuff. This is not that. You're going to be disappointed with me, okay? But some practicals of what it looks to have to, what do you have to do to be a church that really puts their money where their mouth is when we say, hey, you can belong before you believe. This is some of those things. The first one is, is you have to be okay with a messy church. You have to be okay with a messy church. When I, that church that we first went to in Lake Charles, can I tell you, I went in there and everybody was dressed to the nines. I mean, suits and dresses and heels and, you know, I mean, what? I mean, it was just like, dang, everybody looks like they could be on TV. Is what it looked like. There was no mess at all. And I love that church. They're doing wonderful things. I hope you don't hear me knocking them. That was just my first church experience. But to be a church where you belong before you believe, you have to be okay with being a messy church. You have to be okay with somebody who's politically different than you. You have to be okay with sitting next to somebody who smells. I'm serious. Like you have to be okay with like transgenderism and somebody sitting next to your kid. It gets real now, right? But if you want to be a church where people can belong before they believe, you have to be okay with the messy. You have to be able to say, hey, where they're at on their journey is different where I'm at on my journey, but it looks like we're all trying to move towards Jesus. Which means you have to be okay with the messy. 
And for, for a lot of people, that's really hard. But when I look at the Gospels, when I look at Jesus, He was with the people nobody else wanted to be with. The prostitutes, the lepers, the woman from Samaria who had five husbands. He was with the people nobody else wanted to be with. So do you, if we're going to be a church that would say, hey, you know what? When you hear me say, yes, we, this can be a place where you can belong before you believe, just know you have to be okay with a messy church. The second thing is, we have to be mindful of forming cliques. Not that cliques are bad. Some of you in here, man, you went to church, you've been going to church together for 10 years, and you went to high school together, and all that good stuff, and you have this nice, sweet friend community. And that's wonderful. But when it comes to being in the church, what tends to happen with cliques is that if, if you're in the clique, you're in, and if you're not, you're not. And so what we have to be mindful of is saying, hey, is this closed off or can other people come in? Do I come here on Sunday morning and just say hi to my own people or am I, did I meet somebody else? Have to be mindful of forming cliques. And the third one is, we all need to treat people coming into church as though they are coming into your home. We have to all treat people coming into church as though they're coming into your home. And this is what this means. Guess who's the greeters here at the Mustard Seed Church? You are all the greeters. You can't tell me somebody's going to walk into your home and you're just going to walk off and not say hi. <laughs> You are all the greeters here. The same way you say, hey, the bathroom's right there, chips and salsa here, and a Coke right there. Help yourself, I'm gonna go set up the table. Somebody walks in here, hey, the bathroom's right here, we got donuts and coffee, man, find your seat, we'll get started here shortly. We have to treat people as though they're coming into our home, and this is your home. If we had a negative review on our website, I would love that negative review like, man, a hundred people said hi to me. And it freaked me out, you know? <laughs> like, I would love for that. I would see that review and be like, praise God. Praise God. A <laughs> hundred people. Yeah, don't nobody go put that on there. It shows me who posted now. <laughs> But you have to treat people coming into church as though they're coming into your home. We have to be okay with a messy church. And we have to be mindful of the cliques that we form. So would you stand with me? What do you think? Can I, is that an amen on that? Amen. On, right? Can we, can we be that kind of church where we belong, where people can belong before they believe? Can we be okay with a messy church? Uh, I see about half of you was like, eh. I said, can I get an amen? Amen. Can we be in a messy church? So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have some ministry time. 
So if you're new here, what we love to do is we love to create space to meet with God. We believe God wants to meet with us. And we love to be able to pray for one another. And so I empower you all right now in Jesus' name. You're the ministry team. Okay? So this is what we're going to do. If you see up in the front, this gigantic rock right here. If you've seen that, you need to see it. It took three of us to carry it in here. It was three guys, and so none of us thought about using the dolly. <laughs> what? There was one wife in the corner who was like, why don't you just use the dolly? <laughs> and all those guys are like, we got this. I, I picked up this rock by myself, and can I tell you, I could only walk like three feet, and then I had to drop it. Like it's that heavy. And this is when I felt like the Lord was just His small, still voice speaking to me this morning as I was leaving. Is that many of you in here are carrying something for you that's really heavy. And what needs to happen is one, you need to have people come around you and help carry it with you. Or two, you need to let it go and give it to God. Let God meet you there. When I was carrying this thing, all I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about like cheesecake, or, which I usually think about, right? I wasn't thinking about none of that stuff. All I was thinking about was this rock and saying, don't drop it on my toes. And when things in our life are heavy, that's all we can think about. Why do I still have this struggle? Lord, I've been hurt in this relationship and it's so heavy. It's all you can think about. You have a decision coming up that needs to be made in your life and it's heavy and it's all you can think about. So what we want to do this morning is just create space to pray for one another if you relate to that. If you're like, man, I do have some things that's heavy in my life. So what we're going to do, we're just going to sit we're going to sit in silence for a little bit. And we're going to wait. And we're going to pray. Okay? Just, so just, if you can't stay standing with me, we'll just, we'll just wait. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, would you meet us here? memory those things that have been heavy for us even now Lord, you, Jesus. 